All right, this is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And this is Jamal Dajani. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. We're on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. And uh, Jamal, we have another fantastic show again today. You know, we're coming off of our greatest predictions of 2019 show, which, you know, generated a lot of interest. But unfortunately, since that show, the uh, bigots have been coming out of the woodwork uh, attacking progressive voices, Muslim voices, Arab voices. And I think that in 2019, when we put this in the context of the um, government shutdown, the Mueller investigation, the fear, anxiety, and loathing on the right, I'm afraid that bigots are going to have a exciting 2019 attacking everybody and anyone that disagrees with them. It's going to be quite a year. Well, it is uh, obviously with, uh, you know, Donald Trump now in the driver's seat. I don't know for how long, but uh, and also with the most recent elections with the new mostly women, uh, congresswomen who were elected. Right. Uh, the first two Muslim women, uh, Palestinian, American. Rashida Tlaib, yeah. And this is where I, I want us to start because then we'll be talking about others. But, you know, recently it hasn't been too long, you know. I mean, here is a, uh, and, and, and you're from Detroit, so you know how people react there. It started with her, uh, the, uh, I guess the, uh, curse word when she described uh, Donald Trump, right? And that received more media coverage than uh, the racist Congressman King. You know, they looked at, at Rashida's uh, Tlaib's, uh, you know, command that had more playtime right. than any of the coverage about his bigoted uh, words and then, of course, most recently, and then this is something there is this uh, commissioner in uh, Broward County in Florida, and her name is Annabelle Lima Taub, right? Annabelle Lima Taub. Let's just talk a little bit about yes. Anna, Annabelle Lima Taub. So, any, so we'll uh, get to what she said, but I want to make sure that our listeners understand that this is an elected official as a commissioner in in Broward County, as you say. And she was not. She, by the way, it should be known that she's a dual citizen. Is she? She's a. She's a dual. I didn't. I didn't know that. She's a dual Israeli and an American citizen. Okay. Well, you know, this is what she said. You know, she basically, and, and you know, of course, uh, she said number one. She started by uh, uh, signing a petition, which she put on her Facebook page, right? Which is now deleted after oh she deleted yeah she deleted of her her, her personal facebook page and uh, and she said calling uh, rashida tlaib and i'm quoting here a hamas loving anti-semite has no place in government she is a danger and i would not put it past her to become a martyr and blow up capitol hill this is what this commissioner said about an elected congresswoman. congresswoman. So let's get this straight. Here you have a commissioner in Florida calling an elected official of the U.S. Congress and saying, I mean, let's, let's be clear what she says, the outrageousness. 
and the hateful thing that she said. She called her a Hamas-loving anti-Semite and suggested, not even just suggested, Jamal, she actually said that she's worried that she's going to, quote, blow up the Congress. This is an outrageous uh, thing to imply, to say, to indicate that an elected member, just because she happens to be Palestinian, she happens to be a woman, she happens to be Muslim, somehow she becomes a Hamas-loving anti-Semite. It's really outrageous. It is outrageous. And considering the fact that she didn't say anything about Congressman Steve King, uh, Congressman Steve King is from Iowa, who has openly embraced white supremacy. Well, what he said recently was very interesting, Jamal. You know, he gave an interview to the New York Times. And then he said, white supremacy, white nationalism, uh, how did these get bad names? How did this become such a bad thing all of a sudden? Actually indicating that there's some sort of co-occurrence between Western civilization, white supremacy, and white nationalism, lumping them all together and saying, well, how is this such a bad thing all of a sudden? Now, Congressman King has always gotten a pass. He was condemned this week, finally. Well, you know, because now everyone has been talking about it. People feel that he he stepped, or not people, the Republicans feel no. that he has stepped no. over the red line. No, he has crushed and that red line. He has done it so many times. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. So why now? Because uh, they feel that this time he's uh, attracting negative publicity at the time when we have uh, the government, the federal government, uh, we have a total shutdown. And with everything that is going on, he is now their sacrificial lamb. Well, he's an easy person to sacrifice because it's kind of ironic. From what I read, Congressman King is the only Republican congressman from Ohio, from Iowa, by the way. It's kind of interesting because it tends to be kind of a left-leaning state, but this one part of Iowa, he's been uh, elected and re-elected to the Congress, you know, multiple, multiple times. I think he's on his 16th year, Jamal. And he has said outrageous things. He has said bigoted, racist things. In fact, Jamal, you know, he went to Europe to actually have meetings with European white supremacists. And, um, you know, this is a known fact. And the Republicans have never said a word about this until now. Now, my question for you, though, is Trump has said things 10 times worse than this about Latinos, about African-Americans, about Muslims, about Arabs, 10 times worse, and nobody on the Republican side has ever condemned Donald Trump for this. Well, actually, he normalized bigotry. I mean, this is the thing, you know, Donald Trump, since he came to office, basically, he normalized bigotry, uh, normalized people coming. That's why our, the title of our show is coming out of the woodwork. The bigots are coming out of they the are woodwork. Coming out. Because in, in this era and in, in the way he has normalized, you know, attacks on Muslims, attacks on immigrants, attacks on brown people, attacks on African-Americans, LGBTQ communities, Insulting people, uh, of course, uh, the famous or the infamous videotape of him grabbed them by the whatever, 
uh, people have been giving him a pass and time and time again, so it has not become shocking for anything that he says. It just like it just like comes and passes so quickly and until the next outrageous thing uh, uh, that's going to come you, out of his mouth or his tweet. But I'll tell you what is shocking. The, the difference that I think in part this leads to is a couple of things, Jamal. I mean, you alluded to one thing. There's a government shutdown. So this kind of negative attention obviously is, is you know, less well-suited. But I think the other thing is we have to remember on the midterm elections, the people spoke um, and there was a 40 House uh, switchover from, you know, Republican control of the Congress to Democratic control. And that switch in power with Nancy Pelosi as the speaker, with the subpoena power that the uh, House has to investigate Trump's finances, investigate, you know, money laundering, investigating whatever may have gone on between Trump and uh, an organized Russian oligarchs. I mean, that's all on the table in addition to the Mueller investigation. So I think that the context of what's happening in Washington is different now. So two things. One, you know, maybe people will be able to be more critical of some of these outrageous things that he has said. But on the other hand, he also has to be pretty careful about what he says, because from what we're hearing, he is losing some of his base, Jamal, from this government shutdown. We're talking about two paychecks now that 800,000 government workers are not receiving. This is starting tomorrow, Friday, is going to be the second paycheck that government workers have not. I mean, how many people can live with with not having a paycheck for an entire month? I mean, the majority of Americans do, in fact, tragically and unfortunately do live from paycheck to paycheck and we're now going on one month well also also just a reminder this is the month after the holidays right this is the month after people spend a lot of money during uh, the christmas break and so forth and then they start receiving their credit card bills that's right so um so the question you know i want to come back to annabelle lima taub mm-hmm. an israeli citizen Who's also, I mean, I don't know if she's an American citizen, by the way. I mean, I actually don't know that. I mean, in the, in, in the documentation so far, they have identified her as an Israeli-born commission. I didn't see that, so I'm going to... Uh, it I is mean, true. Well, she has to be a dual citizen, so... I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, she could presumably be a commissioner mm, and, and, and maybe have a green card. And I mean, not that it matters, really. Obviously, it doesn't matter. But it's just kind of ironic that here you have. uh, But most media outlets did not identify her as such. They just identified her as a commissioner from Broward County in Florida. Well, the reason I think identifying her as Israeli born is for the obvious reason of the complicated situation that we have in this country where you have, as we speak, a second and third attempt in the Senate to pass anti-BDS legislation. That's right. The government is shut down. We're in a crisis that our government cannot rule. But somehow, despite the all— The first, <laughs> by the way, the first re- legislation for 2019 no, that it was, was— that the anti-BDS bill. And it, it was, was defeated. It not was, once, not, not twice, twice. But it's coming up for a third time For the now. third time. But this is what I mean, Jamal. 
The country is in chaos. The government cannot function. Well, well, to give it some context, and this is taking you guys back to the uh, statement that was said by this commissioner accusing uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib that she, she, that she might blow up Congress, basically. This is what she said about her. And, of course, Rashida Tlaib is the first Palestinian-American woman elected uh, to Congress. This came after um, Rashida Tlaib uh, said that people who are putting this uh, in exactly in the time, as you said, at this uh, time when we have uh, the federal government shut down 800,000 people with, uh, without jobs and people are trying to pass this or slip through this uh, ridiculous uh, bill where uh, she questioned their loyalties. Are they working basically uh, for the interest or uh, or on behalf of the American people. But Jamal, isn't that isn't that a legitimate? Well, it is. I mean, I mean, let me just. I mean, and this was. But first, this is a legitimate thing to put on the table. That it is legitimate when you are working in the people's house, when you're elected as a representative in the United States, that you need to be doing the business of working in the best interests of the United States and the people. And not APAC. And not APAC. And so, not the NRA. And not the NRA. So what, and uh, other interest groups. But I would say APAC it takes it to another level. Because, because it works on behalf of, of, of a foreign government. It's a foreign government. The whole raison d'etre of APAC is to serve the interests of the Israeli government, not the interests of the United States, Rashida Tlaib says, hey, you guys, we can't get our act together. Why is the Senate bringing an anti-BDS bill on the floor the first time, the second time, and now a third time to pass anti-free speech, anti-First you know, uh, Amendment, uh, you know, this thing that promotes the interests of, of this occupying power, the Israeli government, why are we bringing that to the floor when we can't even pay the salaries of 800,000 government workers? And she gets labeled as an anti-Semite? For saying a, that. For saying that. I mean, come on. I mean, this is, talk about the bigots coming out of the wall. So I want to ask you, why is the Senate bringing this to the floor, Jamal? Come on. Well, for obvious reasons. I mean, uh, of course, APAC is one. And uh, many of these senators have served for so many years as surrogates, basically. Do you know who the sponsor for, of the bill for is? APAC. Well, the, the, it has changed. So, Marco Rubio. So that who, he was the first one. And on the second one, and now it says... Uh, I forgot the third one. It's coming under another senator's name. So they've changed the language a little bit, tweaked it a little bit, and again tried to, to, to slip it. So this is the third time. Twice it has failed. And I, w I have to say it has failed because uh, many of uh, our few of the uh, senators, because you need, you need 60, right? You need 60 to pass it, not fifth, not a simple majority. No, I think it's a simple majority on is this it? one. It no, might be. I, I thought it was 60. Well, we'll see because I know actually and ironically, Diane Feinstein has been against it. it she has been against it. Kamala Harris is against it. The Progressive Caucus is against it. I mean, it, it's basically for our listeners who may not know uh, anything about this. This is the anti-BDS bill, which is designed, in fact, to criminalize um, an American's 
free speech and First Amendment right to boycott, divest, or sanction uh, basically the government of Israel, a foreign country, basically to criticize, to take actions that they believe in their own conscience uh, are are promoting justice as opposed to the injustice in Palestine. A, and they want to criminalize American citizens who take a stand against, you know, what the Israeli government is doing in Palestine. And, um, and again, it just blows my mind, Jamal, that we're at a time when the government cannot even function and the Senate is trying to pass this bill now for the third time. So the, so the senator who's trying to salvage Senator, uh, Senator Rubio's uh, BDS Act or combating BDS Act. Who is it? By Chris Murphy? Making it, yeah, is, is Senator Murphy. Well, I'll tell you something about Chris Murphy, which is really disturbing. A Democrat from he's Connecticut. A de- he's a Democrat from Connecticut who holds himself out to be a champion of liberal progressive policies. He's on the news promoting himself as a liberal progressive almost every night. And yet he has the audacity to be the one to promote uh, this law, this Senate bill, uh, on behalf of the government of Israel and APAC. It is truly outrageous. And I hope that our listeners will, will take note of it because, as I said, Senator Murphy likes to hold himself out as this great progressive among the Democrats. But this shows you how how problematic, how degenerate this whole APAC misalliance, not acting in U.S. interests has become, that they could try it with Marco Rubio, who's a Republican, and now go to Chris Murphy, who they believe could give it, what, the progressive stamp of approval? I mean, I guess that's probably why they're trying to get Chris Murphy to do this. That's right. And so, by the way, also the uh, commissioner, Lima Tob from... Uh, Bowers County in in uh, in Florida, uh, there is a campaign to get her removed. Absolutely, there so should pe- be a people campaign. People have been try- contacting Mayor Joy Adams. That's this is the mayor, and, oh, and really? the mayor is the and she's also the president of the board, the commissioner board, to get her removed for these outrageous, racist. Uh, basically remarks. She shouldn't be serving in any official capacity in any um, city or state or federal position in the United States when she attacks a uh, an elected congresswoman uh, based on her race and religion, you know. Well, um, I hope that there's this campaign moves forward. This, this I, I don't know if you agree with this, Jamal, but uh, do you think that this actually... Um, portends uh, any kind of shift. I mean, we do know that uh, obviously the Democrats are in the majority in the House. Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker. They wield subpoena power. The the women in the House are a formidable force now. Whether it's you know you know Omar Ilham or Ilham Omar, whether it's Rashida Tlaib, whether it's uh, Octavia Cortez. You know, these are formidable, amazing, you know, legislators, women uh, in the Congress who seem to be shifting the narrative. They a are. Bit. Absolutely. They are. And, and, and uh, basically the media has not been able, uh, at least the conservative media, has not been able to deal 
with them. So they have been making headlines. They're watching every single move, what they wear, what they say. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Yeah, it's that outrageous. You, that, that, for example, what uh, Rashida said, you know, the swear word uh, targeting uh, Trump got more play time in the media than this bigoted congressman king and everything he had said. So, it's, so she received for using the the MF word, let's say, more time than what uh, King has been saying and, and, and bragging that he is a basically a white supremacist or he's a white nationalist now trying to use Donald Trump's uh, so, words. So when is it against the law to use the MF word? Uh, I, I didn't realize. I guess that's only a word that women that men could use, Jamal. Because if you if you spend any time in Washington, that particular word gets thrown around by men all the time. So you have a a Muslim Palestinian woman who uses the word, you know, uh, and and then now she's being vilified and being called all these outrageous, hateful things. I don't hear thing. I don't hear anybody criticizing, you know. The, the, the men of the Senate, let alone the president, for using worse kinds of language, but they want to come after Rashida. I think what it speaks to, Jamal, is a deep-seated anxiety about progressive uh, narratives uh, being promoted by women of color. I think that's really fundamentally what it comes down to. You're absolutely right. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We're also streaming live on Facebook and on YouTube. Yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, streaming live on Facebook uh, at Jamal Dejani 2. We're on um, YouTube live on Arab Talk uh, Radio on uh, Facebook. You can listen to us at 89.5 FM, you know, if you're in the Bay in Northern California. And, of course, you can listen anywhere in the world. If you just want to listen to the audio at KPOO.com. So I want to switch uh, gears a little bit and discuss a, a new issue that is actually in Canada, but it is connected to the San Francisco Bay Area in a different way. It's an issue that we have been uh, that we have discussed many times here on this show. And uh, just to bring you back to the discussions we've had before, and this is something very local, which is the the involvement of the um, Hillard uh, Foundation and the San Francisco uh, um, Jewish Community Federation or the uh, of San Francisco in funding hack sites, Islamophobic sites, racist sites uh, such as Canary Mission, yes, Amcha. David Horowitz, Pamela Geller, all these different, you know, groups who have been targeting uh, students, academics uh, who are critical of Israel. And after many years, people didn't know that, that then we found out that the San Francisco uh, Community Federation uh, was funding in in excess of three hundred million dollars. Can you believe this figure? Yeah, actually, actually, I do believe it. it Jamal. It's in excess of three hundred million dollars f- from sites like Ur David, which is a uh, colonial settlement movement in Hebron. Right. 
which targets uh, Palestinians there, steals their lands, attacks farmers, uproots their trees to, uh, you know, Campus Watch, which distributes posters like Horowitz right. and others defaming intellectuals, professors, and students. So now there is something connected, which is, I think, and I'm hoping that the U.S. Treasury Department takes note of this. Oh, I see where you're going with this. So, yeah. so in Canada, you know, the equivalency of, or the, of the IRS is the Canadian Revenue Agency, right. right? Just like the IRS. It has begun an investigation into the Jewish National Fund That's right. of Canada over, of its, uh, over its use of charitable donations to basically fund Israeli illegal settlements and fund the Israeli military, which is the occupation, the Israeli occupation, which has been, so now, you know, if you want to donate to Israel, that's fine. There is no law that prohibits you from doing this. No, you can give money directly. You could give money to the devil. No one, you know, I mean, it's totally legal, but... If you want a tax deduction. But if you want a tax deduction. <laughs> so people, you know, it, this this has been ongoing for years, right? So, uh, you know, you could donate to different countries, different causes in Africa and the Middle East and so forth. But now, you know, we find, found, you know, we're now finding out, at least through Canadian media and through the investigation done by the Canadian Revenue Agency, that they have been using these charitable donations to fund foreign militaries and settlements, and settlements which is basically against Canadian law. And it is also against U.S. law because, and against U.S. mission when you fund hate groups. Now, there is, there is, and I've actually talked to an attorney, and I've asked at the attorney's opinion. So, the law has to define these organizations as, as illegal. So, for example, we talk a lot about uh, Canary Mission, which, right. which has been now debunked. We know who are the people funding the Canary Mission uh, with their kind of uh, skeleton uh, office in Israel, and how they function, and the people behind it, all these things, they were, they were, they've been trying to hide their identity for years, and of course what they're doing, you know, it's uh, abhorring. Nevertheless, uh, the strongest point that you can make as far as, as the U.S. law versus the Canadian law, these organizations have to be, number one, identified as terror groups. Well, that's interesting, Jamal. But also, there are laws governing, tax laws governing, um, you know, usage of charitable contributions that's against right. your mission statement, like saying to people, give me money because I'm feed feeding the poor and the hungry, and then you're taking that money and you're building settlements with it. Or give me or money. Or funding terrorists. Or groups. funding uh, funding incitement and hate right and basically they are funding incitement and hate and also these settlers are terrorists many of them have attacked palestinians they've killed palestinians they've injured palestinians they've maimed palestinians they've stolen they've land. stolen land yeah. they've uprooted trees so the definition might be vague but it's not that vague in canada because in canada basically 
they cannot do that. And by the way, the Jewish National Fund in uh, in Canada has recently told CBC, which is the Canadian public broad- broadcaster, uh, equivalent to PBS in this country, that it has stopped funneling money to the Israeli military in 2016. Really? But the investigation started way back in 2016. We're just getting now news about it. Right. So in 2016, and this is kind of, you know, they're admitting their guilt. They went on. They've, they've been doing it. They've been doing it for years. So, so, so there was an audit which was launched following the beginning of that investigation on October 2017 because a complaint was filed by four human rights uh, defenders with the help uh, from independent Jewish uh, voices uh, in Canada, which is kind of like the like JVP Jew- here. Jewish Voice for Peace. And, and, uh, and other, comp- uh, you know, other complaints, um, you know, they, they found out, for example, am- amongst the complainants is um, a... Um, a Palestinian Canadian a retired physician his name is Ismail Zayed who is now in his 80s and who was expelled from his village Beit Nuba by the Israeli occupation forces during the 1967 war wow. so during the war Israel also demolished his his entire village not only his home along uh, basically with also nearby villages from Imwas and Yalu and seize their land. And then we found out that the Jewish National Fund of Canada bought the land or got the land acquired. We don't know how they acquired it from the Israeli occupation military and turned it to a recreational area named Canada Park. Oh, my God. With an adjacent settlement for... Jews only. Unbelievable. So this guy is an Canadian citizen who was evicted from his, he's in his 80s, and thank God he's healthy and he's alive. He's a physician. He remembers it like it was yesterday. They come in, kick everyone out from the village, take over the land. Jewish National Fund has been uh, raising money in Canada, issuing tax deductions to to their contributors, turn it into a park and build build a settlement on his stolen village. Well, Jamal, I think this is actually the biggest scam. And it's that the fact that whether it's Canadian or American charitable organizations can skirt by the spirit, if not the letter of the law, taking charitable contributions from people, those people getting tax deductions, and then that money being funneled for military, paramilitary, or illegal settlers in the West Bank is, is really the biggest story here. Can I just remind you something? There was a case in the United States called the Holy Land case, right? That's right. Where something not even as bad as what this is, was going on. And people are in jail now for 20, 30, and 40 years for basically taking charitable donations and feeding, you know, basically orphan children. And at that time, you know, this is under, you know, the, you know, broad definitions of the terrorism law. Yet these groups in Canada and the United States get away with this every day. It's good that the Canadians are doing something about it. So my question to you, Jamal, what is stopping the Congress 
and Rashida Tlaib and other congressmen and Nancy Pelosi to call into question some of the similar things that are going on in the United States right now. What's stopping them? Well, this is the irony here. Yeah. So the irony here, and I'm using this example because last year we've spent probably half the year talking about what's going on right here uh, in San Francisco by the, right. the Jewish Community Federation in San Francisco after we've discovered, not us, we, we've reported on it, but uh, other uh, uh, reporters uncovered the story, dug into their tax forms, found all the names from Canary Mission to David Horowitz to Ear David Settlement Group in, in Hebron to other hate groups and Islamophobes, a whole list going back to, uh, 10 years, $300 million were spent to fund these, to fund these people. And they've been doing it below the radar, no investigation, nothing. People are receiving tax deductions because, because of this. And the first act uh, of the 2019 Congress is to try to ba basically Silence. stifle Silence. the First Amendment. The First Amendment, they want to shred the Constitution. Absolutely. So they, so, so they instead of investigating real things, and you have proof, you have evidence, including, by the way, including that the Jewish Community Federation of San Francisco admitted that they that were— they did this. Their tax form shows this. And they said, oh, we're, we're going to stop funding Canary Mission. But they we, haven't stopped after, funding— uh, After they were discovered. Yeah, but they haven't After stopped. they were outed. But at the same time, no one is going and saying, hey— you know what? You That's have illegal. show me your mission statement. You are a charitable organization. You're giving people tax uh, taxable uh, deductions, whatever to to deduct from their uh, taxes here. And what are you doing with this money? Where are you sending this money? You're sending this money overseas to terror groups in Hebron, settlers who have been attacking Palestinian farmers. So why aren't they being investigated, Jamal? And I have another piece of bad news. That same group, the Heller, Helen Diller Foundation, we're literally sitting maybe two blocks away from the Helen Diller Cancer Center in San Francisco. Helen Diller Foundation has given UCSF tens of millions of dollars over the years as part of their charitable uh, trust. Why is the University of California accepting money from the same group that is funding these hate groups? Why is the University of California, who's being run by the former Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Janet Napolitano. Why are they accepting money from these groups that are funding hate groups? I don't, why isn't this being investigated? Well, that's why this is the question. And that's why uh, having read the report or the article uh, uh, from the Canadian uh, uh, broadcast CBC about the investigation that's now going on by the equivalency of the IRS in Canada. I think, you know, the Jewish Community Federation of San Francisco, the Peninsula, Marin, and Sonoma counties, also known as the JCF, they've been funding far-right and anti-Muslim hate groups across the country as far back as 2003. This is from their tax returns. Their yearly budget in 2017, $240 million. Wait a minute. $240 million? This is according to their tax return. Just, just in Northern California. In fact, you mentioned the Helen Diller Family Foundation. The Helen 
Diller Family Foundation is only one part of the big umbrella federation. No, no. They contribute to the JCF. So the, the JCF's budget in San Francisco and the Bay Area, $240 million in 2017. Their assets, they total over $1 billion. So, so when I say that they have spent over $300 million according over the course of these years. And who are the beneficiaries, uh, Jess? Among the beneficiaries, I'm going to give you a, a, an extensive list because this is yeah, very let's, important. Let, let's get the Notorious list. Notorious organizations such as Turning Point USA, the Tea Party Pot Patriots Foundation. Wait a minute, the Tea Party? The Tea Patriots Party Foundation. The Tea Party. Anti-gay groups such as the Heritage Foundation and Southern Poverty Law designated anti-Muslim groups such as ACT for America and the Center for Security Policy. These organizations and additional right-wing groups have been lavishly funded by the JCF in the tune of over $300 million. They, I mean, it, it, it will make your hair stand when you read, basically, and it's now, uh, you know, with the Freedom of Information Act and Sunshine Ordinance, whatever, you can go on the website and look. Uh, but the look problem, up. Jamal, the problem is that... At their 990, 994. No, I, I know about the 990, but here's the problem. Unless there's political will, either in, in the state of California and the state house, or there's some political will in the Congress to take on this, this grotesque funding of hate. I mean, there's no other way to describe it, Jamal, as a tax uh, payers uh, funding of hate in the United States, unless the Congress or the legislature in Sacramento decides to look into this the same way the Canadians are, they, the Helen Diller Family Foundation and the JCF will continue to be able to get away with this and continue to use tax laws illegally while the Senate is trying to take away your First Amendment well, right. Well, the, the, well, that's why we should take that Canadian example that there is at least an investigation and this is what the U.S. Treasury has to do. You know, this is, a leg this is a legitimate, but I guess somebody has to file something. But I keep reading through their 990 form, and I'm obsessed by reading the 990 form, and I'm going to wait to get the 2018 once they file their 2018. Well, they, they have to file it 994. But best, if, if I tell you some of, some of these organizations, uh, Jess, they funded the Clarion Project. Okay, it used to be formally called the Clarion Fund. This is according to their 90, which is a major player in the spread of U.S.-based Islamophobia. And this, by the way, Clarion Fund, they, made, they, 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 they distributed this film obsession called Radical Islam's War right. Against the West. Right. The 28 million swing voters in 2008. That's right. Okay. I remember that. In an attempt that. to stalk anti-Muslim fears about then-candidate Barack Obama. Right. This is how deep, this is so deep. Like, their work is so deep. They fund the Middle East Forum, and you know who runs the Middle East Forum? That's Daniel they, Pipes, isn't it? They, they, the Middle East Forum received $509,600, over half a million dollars from the Jewish Community Federation of San Francisco and the Diller Foundation, right? 
and uh, it's one of the most prominent anti-Muslim organizations in the United States, run and founded by the anti-Muslim and anti-trans, by the way, bigot Daniel Pipes. He's, he's a well-known. He received over half a million dollars from them. Okay? The Center for Security Policy, they received $385,000, also from the JCF and the Diller Foundation. It's also linked to Daniel Pipes and others. So he kind of his double dipping well, under another organization. Well, he's actually so, triple dipping. So he's received over $800,000. And who's his partner in that? Frank Gaffney Jr. Oh, my God. Okay. So, the, so Frank, you know, this is the Center for Security Policy which is uh, described by the Center for American Progress as a main driver of the creeping Sharia conspiracy. They're the ones that keep disseminating information, false information about Muslims are, are going to bring Sharia to the United States. Uh, 667000 I'm going to bore you, Jess. I have the well, number, $667,500. But before you do that, Jamal, let, let's again put that in the right context, right? We're, we're talking about funding hate groups that have been identified by the Southern Poverty Law Center as hateful groups being funded by the Jewish Community Federation, the JCF of Northern California, of San Francisco. Let's talk about that in the context of how Rashida Tlaib and progressive women voices in Washington are being attacked. And I'm sorry to repeat myself, that they're continuing to do this in the context of 800,000 government workers living without pay, TSA workers living without pay, Jamal, our Coast Guard living without pay, Coast Guard members of the U.S. Coast Guard living without pay, and however many of the, you know, just people who are living paycheck to paycheck are living without pay. Yet these groups, this group, Jamal, which has assets in a, of a billion dollars, is, is able to fund hate on a tax-deductible basis. You tell me, and we need to let our listeners know, what is wrong with this picture and what they can do about it. What they can do about it is call their congressman or congresswoman, their congressperson, and have them issue an investigation. That's the difference. Now that there's a Democratic majority in the House, a congressperson can start the process of issuing subpoenas and doing investigations. Well, yes, but also this is the you're talking about the political aspect, and I agree with you. So sometimes the you know you you get the political machine to move, you grease the political machine, then you can start an investigation. Right. But taking the example of what happened in Canada, yes. one person with the help of others who had a claim brought it to the Canadian equivalent to the of the IRS. Because if these organizations are violating tax, U.S. tax laws and anti-terror laws and anti-hate and incitement and so forth, I think it behooves the communities affected to bring these issues to the U.S. Treasury because, look, you have an organization that claims to have a 501c3 status, which issues at the end of the year uh, tax deductions for its contributors who get to lower their tax payments to the government. Unbelievable. 
for causes on their mission statement which are in conflict of what they have been doing with the money. Well, maybe we should read the Helen Diller Family Foundation uh, mission statement. You know, I mean, there is when you say you are gonna uh, you you wanna raise money for culture and love and harmony and feeding the hungry <laughs> and the poor, but then take the money and give it to a terror group like a, a settle, a, a settlers living on a stolen land attacking Palestinians. Does that meet the mission statement? I don't think it does. But I don't know what it's going to take, Jamal. It's going to take some political will. We know, or at least we knew, that prior to the midterm elections, because the Republicans had the House, the Senate, and the executive branch, that there was, and to some extent, the Supreme Court. So they control the executive, the legislative, and the judicial branch. That people, I think, feel kind of fed up or disheartened or disempowered about doing anything because they're afraid that even though justice may be on their side, they're afraid that the, that the machinery of government will let them down yet again. Now we have this little opening, and then I just kind of wonder, is there anybody in Washington with progressive politics that is going to look at this and say, hey? And you know what's really disturbing about this, Jamal? You know which district we're sitting in right now? We're sitting in Nancy Pelosi's district, and arguably the most powerful woman in politics in this country, perhaps you know, in many parts of the world. She's third in line to take over the presidency if something were to happen to the president and the vice president. We're sitting in Nancy Pelosi's district. These uh, tax dodges, and I think I might even call it money laundering, Jamal, with a tax deduction, is occurring in her district. And come on, Nancy, are, are you going to do anything about this? Is, there, is Kamala Harris going to do anything about this? Is Senator Feinstein going to do anything about this? This is truly an opportunity to bring a wrong into a right. I just am not that optimistic about it. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO. We're in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. Um, You've been listening to Justin Jamal here, and uh, we've been kind of, um, what would you call it, Jamal, waxing poetic about, uh, about some of these things. That's right. Um, so we have a few minutes left, uh, the uh, peace plan. Well, I want to talk about my, I guess what I really want to talk about is one of my predictions for 2019, as you know, was um, that Jared Kushner would um, be indicted and go to jail. But I don't know if Jared Kushner can go to jail until we hear about his peace plan. Well, there has been, the, the reason I bring this up because we've been talking about it every uh, show basically, and now there, uh, there were some leaks in the Israeli media, uh, which uh, uh, they're trying to deny that some vision of the peace plan have been described in the Israeli media. Well, we know what and, they are, and, and part of it saying, um, you know, the uh, peace plan will include 80 to 90 percent of the West Bank to the Palestinians. So, so 20 percent will disappear from the agreement yes. or the Oslo agreement. But it 
but also they've mentioned that uh, Jerusalem will be split. And this has been causing unrest or a big brouhaha in the media that's making— Isn't that why Avigdor Lieberman that's, left? That's making the government very yeah. nervous yeah. Uh, because uh, people like Benjamin Netanyahu— uh, have uh, uh, you know have said that uh, Jerusalem is um, off the table that the Israel will never leave from well you know uh, Jamal a couple East of weeks, Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago they announced that there would be another six month delay before the Kushner Trump peace plan was going to be released politically released publicly I'm sorry <laughs> and it may be that the political dynamics not on the Palestinian side. Because we need to remind our listeners that Abu Mazen and the Palestinians have not been negotiating for over, what, eight months now? It's been almost a year that Palestinians have had no seat at the table in negotiating this outrageous so-called peace plan. That the only people negotiating are Jared Kushner, the Israeli, uh, the American ambassador to Israel, and Benjamin Netanyahu, the only ones negotiating this. And they've delayed reviewing this or announcing it for another six months, it, it, it has nothing to do with Palestinians, Jamal. It has to do with the Israelis' inability to, as you said, not only just give up, quote, half of Jerusalem, which they will never, never do, but are, do you think they're even willing to give up 20% of the West well, Bank? Well, it's not a matter of willing. It's what's in that peace plan. If the United States will dictate something or, or uh, they'll recognize it as such because, and I just want to refer back to where this uh, information came from. It came from Barack Ravid, who... Uh, who is Barack who's, Ravid? Who's uh, had an interview, um, you know, he's... Uh, 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 he had an interview on the Israeli channel, Channel 13. He's a senior diplomat correspondent for Channel 13. He's highly respected in in the media. So he had a uh, he had a report on this and uh, saying this is this is the deal, and it, it immediately was attacked by Jason Greenblatt. And who is Jason Greenblatt, Jamal? So Jason Jason Greenblatt isn't he, he is, the ambassador? No, no, no. Jason Greenblatt he's the assistant assistant to the Trump assistant. to the forty fifth president. This is how he described himself <coughs> of the USA, and he's the special Envoy. representative for international negotiations. So he's he's part of the I would say the trio, even though it's not really a trio. So under this whole umbrella. It will include sits on uh, sits on in the, on the top Jared Kushner, right? Then you have to his side Jason Greenblatt, right? And then Secretary Pompeo, who basically they just kind of bring him in in the discussions, but they're the, deci the, the, the decisions, yeah, the deciders. And then they go back to, of course, Donald Trump and tell him. This, this is, is the, the plan. plan. So everyone knows it's the Jared Kushner plan. But can I? Uh, but Gre Jason Greenblatt, he is an insider. So he immediately, and this is something from his uh, tweets after this came came out. Um, you know, he says, "While I respect Barack Ravid, his report on Israel's Channel 13 is not accurate. <laughs> Speculation about the content of the plan is not helpful." 
Very few people on the planet know what's in it for now. And um, well, that's I highly nice. recommend that people listen only to official statements directly from Portis, President of the United States, or uh, Jared Kushner, or me, or the U.S. ambassador to Israel about the plan. Well, here's my breaking news, Jamal, and I think this was one of my predictions. There will be no peace plan. That peace plan will never come to light for all of the reasons that you've just intimated and articulated. First of all, it's a fake peace plan. Second of all, the, the, the stakeholders are not even speaking with one another. And then the stakeholder with all of the political and economic and military power are divided amongst themselves as to what's going to be possible. There is not going to be a peace plan that will be revealed, let alone realized in 2019. It's not going to happen. It's more likely that Jared Kushner will get indicted than there will be a peace plan revealed. MBS is, it might be too much to say he's on the ropes, Jamal, but his credibility and his power on the international stage, outside of the thugs that really like him, like Putin, Trump, and Netanyahu, but outside of the thugs that really like him, is not doing so well right now. And he has to bankroll the Palestinian side of this peace plan. So I don't know what you think, but I don't see a peace plan occurring in 2019. Well, uh, I would agree with you, except that they're looking for something out of the distraction to bring them away from everything that's going on. There have been no achievements of whatsoever for the Trump administration. But Jamal. So they might look at this as. Netanyahu's going to get indicted if he has not already been indicted. His wife has been indicted. I mean, the whole Israeli political elite. Are... Well, maybe, maybe they think that Netanyahu now is in trouble and is weak so they can push him into a corner. Yeah. That's another thing. Anyway, we're we coming to the anyways. end of our show. Thank you for listening to Arab Talk. Be sure to visit our website, arabtalkradio.com, where you can both hear and watch the show. We live stream the show on Facebook at Jamal Dajani 2, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And you can listen live at uh, or on KPOO 89.5 FM San Francisco, also on KPOO's website. Uh, so don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast through Apple or Google's podcast app. You can find all these links on ArabTalkRadio.com. See you next week. 